0: Let me start by getting this off my chest. Can I tell you what I really hate? You know what really just grinds my gears? You know what's really hard for me to really get past, to get over? Do you know what really, really I despise? Thank you. People who mistreat the people that I love the most. Whether it be my daughter, whether it be my wife, my best friends, whether it be my, my family, there's few things that are harder for me than somebody who mistreats somebody that I dearly, dearly love. Now, fortunately, my daughter, she's almost 10. We haven't had too much of this uh, so far, and it's probably better because uh, I'm trying to stay out of prison. Um, but, uh, but one story really does come to mind that, that when I was thinking about people mistreating the people who mean the most to me, a story about my sister comes to mind. Um, so I'm, I'm the oldest of three. If you don't know, I'm, I'm five years older than my sister. And so when I was a senior in high school, she was an eighth grader. And, uh, and, and it just so happens that when she was in eighth grade, there were specifically a couple boys that really just gave her to say they gave her a hard time would be to paint uh, a, not a, a, an even better picture than it was. These two boys, um, they couldn't leave their hands off of her. They harassed her. They gave her a really hard time. Uh, They were very inappropriate. They crossed several lines. And this big brother was not happy about it. In fact, I had a lot of animosity towards these these boys. Now, I was in high school. They were in middle school. It was no big deal. I thought it was what it was until one day at golf practice. There I am. I'm about. the number one tee box. Uh, I'm about to tee off with my group. And I look over my shoulder, and 100 feet from us at our country club was the... um, the, the putting green, and there just happened to be three eighth grade boys there. And two of the three boys were these two boys who couldn't leave their hands off my sister and kept harassing her, and I knew it was my moment. I didn't have to think, I didn't pray about it. I reacted instinctively because I knew the, what they had put her through, and I had seen how that had impacted her. And immediately I grabbed my driver, I beelined it off that tee box, and I walked right toward them And they knew who I was, and, they, and they, I knew who they were as a small enough town. And what shocked me was as I walked towards them, their inability to read my body language (laughs) and their their audacity to greet me as if we were cool. I I walked right up to them. This is a true story. I have my sister's permission to tell this. I walked right up to them and they were all like, yo, Corey, what's up, what's up, bro? One of them tried to like bro hug me, high five. And I go, listen, I hear you guys are having a really hard time leaving my sister alone. They were like, oh, 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 I don't know what you're talking about. I said, listen, we're not playing games here. I know what's going on. Let me put it this way. Don't ever touch my sister again. Do you understand me? And I put my finger right in his little chest and I pushed him away. And I turned back around and I hit like a 500-yard drive right after that. And it was like 250 and it was out of bounds. But who cares? They didn't try to play. I wanted it to be really clear. You don't mess with people I care about. But I just could not believe that they thought we were cool, that they thought we were whatever. And, and I never told my sister about it, but it didn't take long for her to find out because the next day she comes to me, and she goes, did you see so-and-so and so and so i like, I won't say their name. I'm like, yeah. She goes, why didn't you tell me? I'm like, well, I didn't, I didn't know. I said, how did you find out? She said, oh, they're getting made fun of because the other boy that was there were like, you guys like peed your pants when he came up to you. Like you were, you looked like you were going to die or whatever. And I was, I just said, hey, listen, I, I'm not going to apologize for standing up to you. And she's like, no, thank you for doing that. Because I I I just don't, I don't like it when people hurt people that I, that are close to me, but I just couldn't I just couldn't believe that they were like, hey, like what's up, bro? I'm like, how can you treat me like we're cool when you know you've been treating somebody that I care about this closely? Yeah. Yet, now follow me. I think we do this to God all the time. We come to church, I'm here to worship. (laughs) Lift your name on high, Lord bless you. I'm here to give my tithes and offerings. Let's have the power of generosity. Let's sing worship songs. Yet we walk out these doors and we get in a line at a grocery store or we get in traffic or we get bad service or we get somebody who we don't like the way they did things and we mistreat them and we hurt them and we abuse them and we cross lines and we go too far. And have you ever wondered how that affects the heart of their father, somebody who loves them? See, I told you a story a minute ago and I was watching your faces and I can't see you behind the screen, but I just, I just watched a whole bunch of you start to hate a couple of eighth graders 20 years ago. Like we were about ready to go beat on some 33 year olds right now, because they're grown now. <laughs> They probably learned some things. You all were like, how dare they? But you know what's interesting about this story? I think when we hear a story like this, we we either identify as me, the hero, or we identify as my sister, the victim. But how often are we the eighth grade boys where we wanna have this beautiful relationship with God and he's like, hey, hold up. The way you treat your kids is not cool with me. The way, the the status of you and your spouse right now, like how can you think we're okay when you treat my son or my daughter that way? How can you think we're cool, we're good? And so it's the perfect way for us to finish this series called Brand New, because that type of thinking is that is the thing that Jesus came to, to, to change. It's that very mindset, that very reason where Jesus said, we can't have this ritualistic, religious-based, law-abiding temple model anymore because, see, the temple model, again, was all about how do I be right with God and how do I make you happy with me? In fact, we're gonna land the plane, and I think this is so, so, so powerful. And so what I wanna talk about is, the, again, as we... Finish this contrasting the temple model and the Jesus model. And here's what I'd say about the temple model. Here's why it had to be abol- or, or accomplished and finished. This is why it had to be something brand new. Because the temple model, the religious system, was very you-centered. The temple model was all about you-centered. And if you're new with us, you're like, what are you talking about? you got to go watch the last three weeks because each week is built on itself. And I'm not going to recap very much uh, today. And so this temple model, Jesus came to to bring this brand new to get rid of this temple model because it's very you-centered. And I know what some of you are probably thinking what I thought at first. I'm like, no, it's God-centered. It's how do I make God happy with me or how do I make the gods happy with me? But if you think about it, the temple model is actually designed with this question in mind. What must I do or what must I believe to make sure that me and God are cool? To make sure that things are right between me and God. That's two me's and one God, by the way. What do I have to do? See, the temple thinking and the temple model graduates towards rituals and, and religious uh, activities and rules. And, and it has this ability to think, I can mistreat everybody that you, that you love as long as I follow enough rules to make sure we're okay. And no dad, no brother, no son, no mother would ever sign off on that. Am I with, are you with me? Yes. And so I had to go. In the temple model and the temple thinking, we evaluate our standing Based on our behavior, what must I do or what must I believe to make things right between me and God? And what's interesting is it's driven by laws. And laws have a place that we can't have chaos, but the challenge with laws is laws by design draw us to the limit of what we can get by with or get away with. Simple illustration, speed limit. There's speed limits posted all throughout the country of what, is they have, what have the authority said, this is the safe speed for you to travel to not put yourself in danger and anybody around you in danger. Sometimes it's 25, sometimes it's 70, sometimes it's 75. But what's the question we all really ask? How fast can I really go without getting pulled over? How fast can I really go? And listen, I grew up in the Midwest and the answer was always like four to eight. Then I moved to Florida, and it's like 14 to 37. Like, I don't, this is crazy down here. If you have not been down here, it is crazy lawless Audubon stuff down here. It's different. I was like, thought I was feeding them. They're like, slow poke. But, But laws causes that question. The whole heart of a law is, it's the idea of how close to the edge can I get without actually falling off or hurting myself? We love to push those limits, and the other challenge with laws is they, they kind of compel us to find loopholes, don't they? This is what our like, whole law system and culture has come to. How, how far can I go? Where's the loopholes? I've heard married men say things like, you know, I can look as long as I don't touch. Or it's not that big of a deal, it's just coffee. But most of us, if not all of us men, we made a, a vow at our marriage that we were going to cherish her. And cherishing does mean I'm not going to shop around the windows for other people. And my mentor told me that no affair ever starts in the bedroom. It actually usually starts with an email or over coffee. And so as innocent, how far can I, oh, we're just friends. Do you know as a pastor how many affair counseling things I've had to go through that starts with it just friends? And if that's you, I'm not casting judgment. I don't want you to feel guilty. I'm just saying this is why this has to change and that the temple model doesn't work because we push it to the limits. In fact, it goes all the way back to the time of Jesus when he says, love your neighbor. And one man asks this question, he's like, well, who's my neighbor? And his very question infers this, this how far do I have to take it. When he asked who's my neighbor, he basically was saying, how far do I really have to take this love thing anyway? Where do I get to stop? Like, who does, who's exempt from this? See, the temple thinking, it produces hypocrites. And more, more dangerously, and especially in our time, in, in this time in history, in our culture, temple model, temple thinking produces consumer Christians. If you were to introduce those two words together in the first three centuries, they, they wouldn't even know, they wouldn't even be like, what do you mean consumer Christian, there's no such thing. We die to ourselves daily, we serve, we love, we honor, we forgive. Like that's become something that's made its way in through our society. We've moved from like, oh, I don't really like that style or that music or that preaching or the, the, their rituals or, or I didn't really get anything out of that and I like that they're more contemporary or I like that they're more traditional or I like that they read from this version or I like, and listen, listen, listen. It's okay to have preference. We all have it. There's no guilt in that. Whenever we go out, we all like different types of food, but we need to eat, right? So you can be allowed to have preference. That's fine. As long as we don't confuse our preference with genuine Jesus following. Chris Harrell, our friend, our pastor, came in and challenged our staff this week, and he asked us this question, do you believe in Jesus or do you follow Jesus? Because there's a big difference. The demons and the devil believe in Jesus. Big whoop. But following Jesus means I take up my cross daily and I die to myself as I follow the master on the road to suffering and serving and lowering myself to elevate others. Do I believe in Jesus or do I follow Jesus? See, consumer Christianity is all about what I can get for me. It's like this idea of a vending machine. I put something in and I expect something in return. I went to church this many times, I give this many tithes. Here's something fascinating, I probably shouldn't say this, but I don't really care right now. Anytime, so often when I hear complaints, one of the first lines is, I've been tithing here for a long time. And I already know when I hear that, that complaints are coming. You know why? Because somehow we've convinced ourselves that obedience to God has entitled us to some opinion or some sort of consumerism. And, and what, what I would say as a pastor is, even if you don't tithe, I'm still gonna listen to you anyway, because you have value and I honor your dignity, and you don't need to do that. But that's such a temple model thinking, or I've been serving or I've been worshiping, and hey, even if not, like y- you still matter. Or our culture now across the board. What's the least amount I can put in to get the most amount back? How little can I work for a big return? What's this is and this has permeated our culture and it's made its way into our temple thinking of church. Why? Because the temple modeled is you-centered. You still with me? Say yeah. yeah. Raise your hands on the raise your hands on the on the, on the typing. You know, yeah. There we go. Okay. So as a, as a reminder, the temple model, we said the four elements of the temple model were sacred men, sacred places, sacred texts, and sincere followers. Jesus said, there's no longer that. I took care of that. Now I have a new model, a new movement. It's called the Ecclesia. It's called the Gathering of Jesus Followers. We name it the church now. Poorly translated German, as we learned a couple, years ago. Uh, a couple years ago. A couple years ago. A couple weeks ago. And... Um, and Jesus came to introduce something new. The new was no more sacred places because every person is sacred. No more sacred men because every man and woman and child of all nations is sacred. And there's a new relationship with the sacred text. It's no longer about laws, but it's actually a personal relationship with the one that the text pointed to, which was Jesus. And so the, while, the, while those, the temple model centers on you, here's the best part of this whole thing, and this is why I'm, I'm so compelled and motivated to keep doing this, is that the, the Jesus model adversely focuses on the you beside you. While the temple model is all about me, the Jesus model says, the Jesus model centers on the you beside you. Look, look at somebody beside you. If, if you have somebody in your screen in the room, look at them. That's who the temple model follows. That's who the temple model focuses on. And it almost sounds too simple. We, we can't handle the simplicity while, I'll be, while be it all more demanding, we can't handle the simplicity, yet throughout Scripture we see that this is exactly what Jesus is. If you read the New Testament, Jesus, Paul, uh, the, the disciples, the epistles, everybody who wrote the New Testament basically all said this. I mean, John, uh, Jesus says it in John 15, uh, verse 12. He says, this is my commandment. This should be starting to become like, okay, we've heard this before. That you love one another just as I have loved you. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. Well, yeah, but pastor, wait, that can't be it. There's gotta be more. No, that's it. But what about, whoa, 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 let's not add the temple to the Jesus model. Let's not mix and match. Yep, basically God is saying that if we are truly following Jesus, get this, this is so good. If we are truly following Jesus, that the well-being of the people around us should actually shape all of our decisions. Can you imagine, as a husband, a wife, an employee, an employer, a father, a, a politician, a business owner, a manager, a salesperson, what if, rather than how can I maximize me, 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 temple model to you, what if all of our decisions were, sh- were made based on what, uh, or were shaped by what's best for the well being of my, and, and the people in my circle? That's what following Jesus is. How, what decision best works to people. Uh, you know what, God, you know what, dads hate people who mistreat their kids. So what's the best thing for all of us? It's why throughout the Bible, Jesus, John, all of them, they say the same thing. We said this last week. Paul was trying to help a group of people who had it, and then they added all these extra rituals to it, and he reminded them the only thing that counts, Galatians 5. Remember the only thing that counts from last week? Faith expressing itself through love. Yeah, but what about the tithing, and what about the the sacred place? No, 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 this is the only thing that counts. Why is it the only thing that counts? It can't be that simple, no it is, because in a few verses later he says, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Just blink your eyes twice if you're starting to see a pattern. (laughs) Paul writes another letter to another group of Christians, and he's basically saying the same thing. The Jesus model, he's like, forget the temple, Focus on the you beside you, the you beside you. In Ephesians chapter four, he writes at this, he's like, this is why we gotta get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. We gotta get rid of it. Instead, why? We need to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, here we go again, just as Christ, as in Christ, God forgave you. Well, gosh, it just seems like everything goes back to like Jesus. Yeah, yeah, crazy, right? Everything goes back to Jesus. And what did Jesus say? Love each other the way I loved you. What did Paul say? The only thing that counts is the way you love each other. Faith, expressing yourself in love. Well, then what is love? Well, Paul outlined that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, let me show you the most excellent way. Go read it for yourself. Bonus content, homework, you're welcome. So what does this mean for us? And think about this, because here's what happens. When you, when you start to do this, it changes the why behind what you do. It may not look that different on the outside, but the internal motivation is completely different. For example, let me give you a couple of examples. Do you know why you should tell the truth? Well, because the Bible says thou shalt not lie. No, 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 no. That's temple thinking. That's ritualistic. Here's why you shouldn't, this is why you should tell the truth. Because lying says you're worthless. It says you are worth less than me, And lying says, protecting me is more important than honoring you, and I'm more interested in self-preservation than I am the truth. And here's what we know about love, is that trust is the fuel of love, and truth is what builds trust, right? Listen, love is not the secret to marriage, trust is. Trust fuels love, and you can only have trust if there's truth, which means sometimes you have to say things that you don't wanna have to say, but it's about being true. That's why when I tell the truth, I'm honoring you. I'm going, I'm actually sacrificing my dignity because I'm embarrassed to say this about myself or admit this, but I'd rather you know that you are worth more than me protect myself. Are you with me? Say yeah. yeah. Do you know why it's important to be generous? Because God commands us to. No, that's temple thinking. Because generosity elevates other people and blesses other people what it does for others. And oh, by the way, God was fairly generous with us, in my opinion. Do you know why you shouldn't talk badly about somebody else? Because the Bible says not to gossip. No, that's temple thinking. Because gossip dishonors the other person and it spreads like a COVID virus to everybody within six feet that hears it. That's why you shouldn't gossip, because you don't wanna spread that, because it dishonors somebody else. The Bible, no, no. Jesus' model says, I'm not gonna gossip because I'm not gonna dishonor and devalue this. Do you know why you shouldn't pressure your girlfriend sexually or your boyfriend? Because the Bible says sex before marriage is wrong. Yeah, yes, but no, that's temple thinking. Because Jesus says, guys or girls, when you push for what you want over what they want or what's best for them, you dishonor and devalue them. Do you know why you shouldn't play fast and loose with your sexuality? Because it's bad for me? Well, yes, but no, Because when you do, you diminish the significance of sex with every person you have or have had it with, and it makes sex not special, and God created sex to be the most special thing. It's bad for her, it's bad for him, it's bad for you, it devalues her, it devalues him. Sex is amazing, but it's supposed to be amazingly special. That's Jesus-centered. Temple-centered is like, it's sin and God hates you. No, I hope for three weeks we've been over that. Well, pastor, It's 2021. What if it's consensual? What if you have two best friends who decide they're gonna gouge each other's eye out at the exact same time with a butter knife and you're like, guys, stop. You're like, no, 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 we've discussed it. It's consensual. Oh, 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 then carry on. (laughs) As long as you both agree, stab away. What a dumb response. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. The Jesus model is actually Way less complicated, but far more demanding. Far more. See, it's easy to hide in the temple. And here's what I mean by that. It's easy to, to argue and quibble and quabble, both are words, by the way, uh, over, all oh, the, the Bible means this and it means that and it doesn't mean this. The Bible says that. And I think it's interpretation and Revelation and Daniel and Matthew and da-da-da-da-da and, and the Old Testament this and that was Levites and the wada-wada-wada. And if I confess afterwards, I can keep doing it because I go to confession or I go to my pastor. That's... It's pretty easy to hide out into that and find all the loopholes, right? You know what it's really hard to hide from? Philippians 2 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. That's hard to hide from. There's not really hiding. You know what's really hard to hide from? Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. That's hard to hide from. You know what's hard to hide from? Be merciful as your father is merciful. There's not like, well, check. no, you know mercy when you see it. You know, well, are you, you said do good to those who, who hate me, but, they, but I am entitled and I deserve, and there's loopholes. Yeah, 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 in the law, there's loopholes. But in the Jesus model, it's like, do good to them anyway. Pray for your enemies. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. Yeah, following Jesus is tough. Again, we already just said this, John 15, remember? There's really no place to hide. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus gave his life on our behalf. He served. He didn't come to be served, but he served. See, here's what I love about this. Love offers us no place to hide, right? There's no loopholes. There's no shortcuts. And there's no workarounds to love. Hey, and by the way, before you get like, well, I don't know, aren't you glad Jesus didn't look for loopholes when it came to loving you? Yeah. I sure am. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't go, well, I wanted to love you, but three divorces? Come on, man, that's excessive. I really wanted to love you, but you were in jail for that time. I wanted to love you, but you went bankrupt and you did all those financial impropriety and and you probably should be in prison. I can't go there. Like, ah, there's kind of a loophole. You were kind of bad. Aren't you so glad that Jesus didn't look for a reason not to love us? Love one another as I have loved you. See, Jesus came to eliminate any obstacle and every obstacle from people and all all people getting to God. And here's here's the simplest way, and I hope this sticks. I would love to introduce to you a question that hopefully is triggered at the time of emotional uh, just explosion when there's a trouble between you and a brother or sister, because we usually know the answer to this question. And if this can be the question we ask ourselves in the moment where it's like, ah, there's trouble, I think we can find the master's way and we can find love in the middle of it. Because we usually know the answer to the question, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? I know how I feel. I know what I want to tell the person in traffic who just cut off and that apparently they don't live here and they only are here for four months a year and they're from another country and how dare you. I know what I want to say to the cashier who's taking their sweet little time and I know what I want to say to my neighbor who won't keep his stuff off my property. I know what I want to feel and I know what I want to say when my wife comes home and I've worked like 80 hours and all I do is provide and she's like and another thing and another thing. I know what I want to say when my husband doesn't recognize all the stuff I do and he's like, you think this cook just food makes itself and this the kids take care of themselves and you think that this business just runs itself and that I know what I want to do. But if what if rather than be like, I'm entitled to blow up. What if instead of that, we just stopped and went, what does love require of me right now? What does love require? Slow to speak, slow to anger, quick to listen, full of grace, benefit of the doubt, you go first. Imagine if this question drove most of our actions and behaviors at the time that we were the most emotional. What is love, I've used this and it's kept me out of a whole lot of trouble. I'm not great at it, but when I apply it, it's awesome. I also, I never get to act how I want when I do. So that's kind of the rub. Because Jesus came to eliminate all the obstacles of getting to God. I gotta, there's a story of this. Uh, uh, there's two, actually two different stories in the Bible where you see this, and I wanna bring it back to the temple one last time. I told you we'd go here. There's a story, this account happened at the beginning of Jesus' ministry and at the end, three years apart, and you may have heard it, it's when, um, the, when they would set up money tables and they would sell sacrifices outside of the temple. It's, it's throughout the Bible, but it's, it's in Mark chapter 11. But here's, here's what you may not know about the story and why this story matters. Jesus is going to come in and he's going to overturn the tables and he's going to go all like Hulk mode on them, and I can't wait to see that movie when I get to heaven and what that was really like. But, but most often, we don't understand why this mattered to Jesus because... What happened was I going to show you the picture of the temple. If you remember, the temple was all about where God's presence was, and that's who could get to God. And the temple was only designed for Jewish people. Now God came for everybody, but it was only Jewish people. But there were people who came to God and, and, and converted to Judaism, and they said, You can't go in the temple, but we'll let you get close. And so what they did is they did, they they designed this kind of outer court area, and this is literally called the court of the Gentiles. So here's the temple. All the way around is the court of the Gentiles. And this was a Gentile is a Bible word for non-Jewish people, and it was You can't come in the temple, but you can get pretty close. And so it was their way of getting as close to God as they could, and the Jews didn't like that they were getting on their turf and in their temple and on their space, and they knew that many of them came from many nations, and in order to offer sacrifices, they had to pay for birds and goats, but they had to do a money exchange, much like an airport. And so they could have set that up anywhere in the city, but of all places, where do you think they chose to set that up? In the court of the Gentiles. And by putting those up all around this court, who did it push out? Everybody who wanted to get close to God. It wasn't about the money and it wasn't about the pigeons. You know what it was about? We intentionally came into the space to push you out and create an obstacle because you don't belong here and this isn't for you. And both accounts, Jesus overthrows the table and he loses his mind and and, and, and not his mind, but he's like, get out and, and he throws it. And we think, oh, Jesus had an anger problem. No, no, Jesus didn't have an anger problem. His kids who he loved were being mistreated and pushed away. Watch what he says at the end of Mark chapter 11. He says, it says that he threw, he, got, he literally threw the money changers. Go to verse 17. He says, and as he taught them, go straight to verse 17. As he taught them, he says, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for who? All nations. All nations. See, we skip that word if we don't know the context, but you have made it a den of robbers. See, Jesus was saying, this is not just for you. This is for All nations. And what he's saying to us now is this is not just for you. This is for the you beside you. I came for you and I came for the you beside you. And my model, my vision, my new movement, this Ecclesia church gathering of people who follow me focuses on the you beside you. This is what it means to be a Jesus follower. To focus on the the you beside me well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Jesus told a beautiful story, an analogy, but it's a prediction of what's gonna happen at the end of time. It's in Matthew chapter 25, and the best, I'm not gonna try to put words in Jesus' mouth, I'm just gonna tell you what he said. He says, this is what this looks like. This is, he's predicting the end of time when we're in heaven and we're standing before God. In verse 31 of Matthew chapter five, it says this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, he will sit on his throne, and all the nations will be gathered to him, And he will separate people from one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from goat. So he will put the sheep on his right and he will put the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take inheritance. Your kingdom is the kingdom is prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you visited me. To which temple model consumer Christians would say, wait a minute, that's not right. We went to church to visit with you. I invited you into my heart. I tried to get you to look after me, but Jesus goes on and he says, no, when you've done it to them, you've done it to me. And it says, their answer was kind of shocking. Verse 37, it says this, then the righteous will look at him and say, Lord, when, <laughs> I love this. When did we see you hungry and feed you or give, see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you as a stranger, invite you in or need clothes and we clothed you? It's kind of like they're saying, um, you are a little bit different. We would have recognized you. We would have remembered if you were like homeless or you were hungry, like if you came in, like I would have remembered that hair, I would have remembered the glory, the Shekinah glory, like you're kind of unforgettable. Like, I don't know, how did that happen? And then the, and, and it's almost as if, if I could bring it into our days, it's like, I, I thought it was it when we were singing that song in church and we pictured you and we felt that tingling feeling on our arms and our neck, was that when we felt close to you? Was it when we prayed a certain prayer or a certain way? Isn't that when we were close to you? Was it when we went on our trip to Israel, to the Holy Land? Or on that ladies' retreat or at that youth camp? Isn't that when I was the closest to you? Isn't that when we, and I'm not diminishing those moments because outside of the ladies' retreat, I think I've had almost all of those. But they're like, when, when did this happen? When did we engage with you then? That, that, That doesn't make sense. It happened in the temple, right? Or when did we see you in prison, verse 39? Sick and in prison, when did we go to visit you? And I love this. The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it to me. See, the Jesus model. Yes, this is who we are. This is what we're meant to be. The Jesus model centers on the you beside what if we as an entire congregation could get this in our hearts and rather than God are we okay, we could go, how am I doing with the you's beside me? The neighbors and coworkers and employees and employers and people in the small group and I had to leave that small group and all of those things. Because see, the Bible is clear, Jesus is clear, the new covenant is clear. It's, I feel like we've laid it out very simply the last four weeks that your devotion to God is illustrated, demonstrated, and authenticated by your love for others. That's it. Far simpler, but more demanding. Wouldn't you agree? What does love require? What does love require? What does love require? It goes back to my opening story. Remember a few minutes ago about how we all felt about those eighth graders? We were like, let's get them! I was shocked that these boys could think that we were okay. But in the story I just read you in Matthew, I think the goats were shocked to find out that them and God were not okay. What do you mean, Jesus? We'd been to the temple, we did the things, we did all the rituals, what do you mean we're not okay? So now let me tell you, Christian, believer, follower, the one thing that you don't wanna have happen is when you get to heaven and you get to the end of all of this and find out, I did all these things and find out that you and God weren't okay. What do you mean, God? I did all the things. I was hungry. You walked past me, I was thirsty. You walked past me, I was a stranger and you didn't invite me in. I voted different than you, so you cut me out of your life. I've spent the last 30 minutes making sure that we're all very clear that the one thing that mattered at the end is the way you treated the you next to you. Jesus says to us, whatever you do for them, that's what you're doing for me. You know what I hate? People who mistreat people I love. And if you want to, if you want to get right with me, you can sing me all the songs and buy me all the meals and you can take me on vacation and I'm not interested. If you want to get right with me, the only thing I'm interested is you go make restitution with the person you hurt that I care about. And then we can maybe talk but I'm not interested in your gift cards and your songs and your offerings. I don't care. I don't want your gift card. I want you to go apologize to my sister and I want you to restore her dignity in front of all the people you've been embarrassing. If you do that, we can talk. And that's basically what God says. We're good. I need you to go make it right. You need to be right with our brothers and sisters. So my question for us today as we close is do you know what you're gonna hear when you get to heaven? Have you loved the you next to you? Have you ignored the you next to you? Have you hated the you next to you? See, the temple model, the religious thinking would say this, Jesus, do you know how many poor, hungry, sick strangers we had to push past to get to you in the temple? And Jesus would respond, you walked right past me multiple times to go to a sacred place that I no longer linger. Because what's sacred is no longer the temple, because you Beside you is the temple. So my question for us at the end of this is what does love require of me? Now I wanna close with two thoughts. There's been two defining moments in my life, two game-changing moments. One, when I was three years old. I was old enough to understand Jesus, the devil, heaven, hell, hell, and hell too because I lived in the Midwest, but hell. And when I was three years old, I asked Jesus into my heart. I asked Jesus into my heart and that was where I started to learn about him and follow him. But about 18 years later, when I was 22, something changed. And what started, what started to change was what became important to Jesus started to become important to me. And what he loved, I loved. And, and I started to learn to see like him and think like him and feel like him. And I mess up all the time. But, but at 22 or 23, rather than invite Jesus into my heart, Jesus invited me into his heart. And that was the game changer for me. Because I had a mentor who told me, he goes, you know the Bible up and down, but you don't know how to love people. And he goes, I'm not impressed with your, your ability to know scripture until you can live it out. And so I learned to let Jesus show me what, how to cry for what he cries for and care for what he cares for and hear what he hears and see what he sees. And so tonight, today, wherever you're at, whenever time in history it is, you're watching this. I'm just gonna pray simply. Maybe you're here and you've never had that moment where first the Bible says we, we can love because he first loved us. That starts with salvation. It's when we invite Jesus into our heart. And as I pray, you can just invite him in. If you're online, you can text the link, say yes. If you're here, you can text KPS to 94,000. We're gonna send you some resources. We would love for that. And that's where you start, and that is it. But for the other side of the group that maybe you're on the side where you're like, I've already asked Jesus into my heart. Maybe at the end of this, maybe the new he has for you is that he wants to invite you into his heart. What matters to him would start to matter to us a whole lot more. And so as I pray, maybe your prayer is not Jesus come into my heart, but Jesus, would you invite me into yours? Would you reveal to me what's important to you? I don't know where you're at but i think those are the two places we land have you loved the you next to you have you hated the you next to you have you ignored the you next to you do you need to invite jesus into your heart or do you need jesus to invite you into his wherever you're at i'm gonna let this be kind of set on you i'm gonna pray quickly and then i want you to do what you need to do with this going out of here father thank you for every person watching and listening i thank you that that your love is the way. God, I thank you that you came and you fulfilled an old temple model and you give us something much simpler, more demanding. But God, you, you said you're gonna show us your love and you're gonna give us your power. So anybody here who needs a relationship with you, who needs to abandon religion and jump into a relationship, I pray, God, that that would be so real to them and you would fill them with your love as they experience your salvation. And for anybody else who's already experienced that, that would say, I need Jesus to invite me into his heart. I wanna care about what he cares about, love what he loves feel what he feels, care and and, and hear what he hears. God, I pray that you would do this, that you would invite us into your heart and that you would help us to love others the way you have loved us. And by that, all men would know that you are the God in heaven and that you would bring all men to you in Jesus' name. Amen.